Well, uh, it's wonderful to see you all, and uh, it's, it's great that we can all come so soon after Christmas. I wonder what you got for Christmas. I wonder if there were some uh, presents there that you were very pleased with. Did you get what you wanted? Uh, I got these awesome socks. Check out these ones. You probably can't really see them. They're coffee-themed. It says, full of beans, which is me, so I'm quite pleased with that. But uh, one of the, the very best gifts I was ever given, I actually re-gifted and have regretted it ever since. Um, it was a wedding gift. It was a slow cooker. And uh, I'm sorry, Dave and Bryony, but I didn't realize how thoughtful the gift was at the time. Uh, because back then, I didn't have kids. Uh, I never cooked. You know, I had worked very long hours. And so, you know, just didn't have time for that. It was always being takeaway. And we lived in a tiny North Sydney apartment. And so we didn't have room for this big slow cooker. But it was the perfect gift. It had a timer. It had, you know, these different pot sizes and... It was, it was the perfect slow cooker. And this week, as I was uh, doing a bit of a peen ham soup with some leftover Christmas ham, I found myself once more regretting giving away this great slow cooker with its timer. <laughs> now we've got this useless Kmart knockoff. That... Such is the pitiable life that I now live. <laughs> it was the gift I needed. It was the perfect gift. I just didn't realize it. Well, uh, as we head into a new year, I wonder what you think you need. Uh, What is the perfect gift for this new year for you? And we've been in uh, John chapter uh, 6 this this week and last week. We were in there too. And in John chapter 6, the crowds, they didn't realize the value of their gift. That's my uh, remote segue into our passage. Uh, They had been given Jesus, hadn't they? Uh, Jesus had been sent to them to give them eternal life, but all they wanted was some food. They just wanted some bread. Do you remember last week? And they wanted a leader. They wanted a leader who would uh, overthrow the Romans. Instead, they were given Jesus uh, with power over all creation, with power over all people and over time itself. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. They, They left him. They walked away. They rejected their gift. Today we have a, a wonderful passage. It was very short. Um, Dave the, read them, uh, did the Bible readings for us. Thank you, Dave. And he did note how long the Old Testament one was and how short the New Testament was. It's a very short passage, but it is wonderful, uh, a wonderful uh, story about Jesus, a moment where he walked on water. Uh, and like the crowds, we need to recognize afresh today that Jesus is the perfect gift given to us. Because above all else, as we, as we dip our toes into the new year, as we wade into the shallows, uh, we see that for each of us, there are unknown depths, currents beyond our reckoning, darkness we may fear. Uh, and to this, John says through this sign, this event, Jesus walking on the water, he says that Jesus is the prophet to lead you through, the king to rule over the elements, and the Lord to banish darkness, to guide us to his eternal shore, holding his hand into the light. It's quite a wonderful passage. Let's, uh, let's dive in and see, uh, see what happens in our passage, firstly, and then let's consider uh, some of what it means uh, and then what it means for us. Well, so as I mentioned, one of the first things you notice is it's a very short account. The, the reading was over before I knew it, and all of a sudden I had to come up here because it's just a couple of verses. Um, Let's have a look at it. Verse 16, if you've got it open there, John chapter 6, verse 16, tells us that it was evening and it says, uh, his disciples went down to the sea, they got into a boat and they started across the sea to 
Capernaum. Uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 on the plain, which we think it's probably this plain uh, here pictured. And then his disciples kind of jump in the boat and kind of start across the little sea. It would have been a little boat. And, uh, and they're going to go across the other side. Uh, they're going to have to cross the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't a long crossing, um, but it was several kilometres. And just to give you some uh, perspective, I have a bit of a picture of Sydney Harbour. So Sydney Harbour, that kind of bit that we know well, is about 500 metres uh, compared to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I think I have an image there. Was about, we think it's probably where the crossing happened. It was about 10 kilometres, um, to the best of our knowledge. So a fair distance, but quite doable in a little boat. But, but verse 18 says, a storm hits and the sea begins to roll and churn. And waves, uh, waves in this area have been recorded as high as three metres tall uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And so you can imagine this little boat, a three metre high wave, kind of as high as this building coming on top of you. Uh, it would be quite, uh, potentially quite terrifying. Um, ships were known to have been sunk uh, because of these, and if your ship went down, you may as well. So at the very least, it would have been worrying, in the very most, absolutely terrifying. Verse 19 says, uh, after they had rowed about three or four miles, uh, they're in this storm, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. So out in the middle of this storm appears a man on the water, and uh, it must have scared them. Pretty badly, just to see this guy here. Uh, now, I have to admit, I do like to jump out and scare people. Uh, it's hard to resist sometimes. Uh, although, actually, Nikki, my wife, scares so easily, I have to kind of, if she's in, the, in a room, I have to make a bit of noise as I'm approaching her so she doesn't get a fright. Uh, but the other day, she got me good. She just, I was there, I thought I was alone. All of a sudden, she was there. And I did jump. And I think the thing that scares you is someone is somewhere that, they shouldn't be, you know, like you thought you were alone, all of a sudden there's someone there. And I guess it's a bit like this for these guys. They're in the middle of this storm, in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden there's this man there. Uh, what is he doing out there? What is he doing out there in the middle of the water, in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm? What could this possibly mean? But Jesus says, it's just me, guys. Verse 20, it is I, don't be afraid. As if to say, uh, don't be afraid, I'm not. I'm in my element here in the elements. Uh, and you can, uh, you can kind of almost imagine him uh, pointing to the swirling eye of the storm. Well, afraid of this thing, Jesus is there. He is not worried at all by the storm. And uh, if you're wondering, this is the same account in Matthew's Gospel where, uh, of course, Peter comes out on the water with Jesus and uh, he takes him by the hand and he falls in. Uh, but John's account is very brief, isn't it? It's very brief. Uh, but it does end in a very intriguing way, if you'll indulge me for a moment. Uh, I think it ends quite wonderfully. Verse 21, they take Jesus on board, and it says, And at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. And uh, people kind of debate, what is the significance of this statement? Is it another little miracle? Um, or are they just saying when Jesus jumped on board, they were in fact already near the shore? And, uh, you know... It's kind of speculation, but I'm rather taken with the idea that it's, it's kind of suggesting something a little miraculous there as well. Uh, you know, as though, as if we invite Jesus on board, it's all good. He'll take care of things. Uh, theologians have mused how, how the scene almost has to end this way. You know, as opposed to, you imagine Jesus, 
would come on board and then they still have two hours of hard rowing uh, to get to shore. No, we kind of expect it to, to... Jesus comes on board and then it's all calm. It all ends effortlessly. He takes care of it all. But as I say, we can uh, only really wonder what exactly is meant by that. So that's our event. It's very simple. It's very short. Let's, uh, let's consider what it shows about uh, Jesus. Uh, and of course, there are any number of hilarious cartoons about Jesus walking on the water, uh, such as this one. Um, you know, do I, <laughs> the treadmill with water, yes. Uh, you know, I'll spare you uh, more than one. Uh, but the point of the miracle is, um, now I have to, I'm sorry to do this next one, but uh, a bit of a trigger warning. It's so cheesy, it might make you gag a little bit. But it's, the meaning of the parable is more like this, my lifeguard walks on water. It's pretty cheesy, but it's kind of, I think, what the parable is uh, getting at. The point is to identify and demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah of the Israelites, that he's God's means of global salvation, uh, and that this man has the very power of God at his fingertips. Beyond just the raw power of the event, though, there are these very clear links to the Old Testament showing that God is at work in him. And one of the key events, uh, of course, was Moses parting the sea, of which there are any number of hilarious cartoons. Moses here parting his hair. I've always loved that one. Um, but there, um, yeah, th- there's a lot of similarities between Jesus' crossing and Moses' uh, crossing um, in the Old Testament. Uh, they were potentially even the same distance. We don't really know where the exact location was, uh, but potentially even a, a similar distance. And this time, of course, it was Moses leading the people across the Red uh, Sea. Um, incidentally, the Red Sea has been in the news lately. I don't know if you've uh, noticed this, as the Houthi rebels have been trying to uh, board the cargo ships as a, a spillover of the war in Gaza, um, which is an interesting thought that if Moses had done his crossing last week, he would have run into a U.S. Uh, Navy-guided missile destroyer, which I guess would have put up more of a fight than Pharaoh's army. Anyway, I digress. So let me show you uh, briefly then a few of the rich connections uh, that Jesus walking in the water has with the Old Testament. Uh, and the first connection is with, with Moses, as we said, showing that Jesus is God's prophet. God's uh, prophet is to lead God's people out of danger through the water across the sea and rescue them lead them to green pastures. The Exodus account of Moses leading the Israelites across the sea, it produces the same effect on his people as Jesus' crossing. I'll show you what I mean. So Exodus 14, uh, 29, it's up on screen. It says, The Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. So they feared the Lord, believed in him and his servant. Uh, And I guess you would after that, wouldn't you? And so the message is the same. When Jesus walks through the storm to rescue the little boat, the message is the same. See God's prophet, follow his lead, be saved from the power of our enemies. Be saved from the tremendous forces which assail us. Next connection to see is uh, that Jesus is God's king. I remember the people wanted a king uh, back there in, uh, 
in, um, in Jerusalem. So Jesus, remember, he feeds the 5,000. I don't know if you remember this from last week. He feeds the 5,000. And then they see it and they realize his power. And so they try to make him king by force, uh, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 6 said. And, and we considered that last week. They want a king. They want a king with power over their region, their country, with power over their people. But Jesus, Jesus is king of the whole world. In reality, God's king is ruler over all creation, over the elements themselves, over every nation, every region, every human ever to be created in the image of God. And so Psalm 107, our Old Testament reading, picked up on this. Um, and in case you don't still have your finger in there, I put it up on screen. It was a little while ago. You Fingers probably found its way out. Uh, Let me read a little of that, and you can see some of these ideas in there. So from verse 28, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a murmur. The waves of the sea were hushed. It continues, verse 30, They rejoiced when the waves grew quiet. Then he guided them to the harbor they longed for. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wonderful works for all humanity. So God's works are for all humanity, his power over the creation itself. And John's gospel is saying uh, God's king is Jesus. He is the person that God's uh, power and kingship are given to. He is given, uh, this person is given to you as a gift. His works are before all humanity. His works are eternal. Jesus' sign here points to eternal deliverance, the calming of the storm once and for all. And uh, the more I reflected on uh, this account uh, this week, I, I began to think of all the symbolism in the Bible of, uh, of storms uh, and, and what this sign was really pointing to at a kind of more symbolic level. Because how often does uh, Scripture picture a storm and is it used to describe the, the stirrings of the heart Uh, or the thunder of pagan armies uh, as a result. And so the greatest storm which agitates, of course, is sin, as the nations rise up against the Lord and his anointed. But God's king will call all to heal, and we will live in peace and tranquility. The storm clouds we see in our lives now will be cleared to blue skies and brilliant sunsets. Which finally gets us uh, to God's hope, the final uh, connection uh, to the Old Testament that we'll uh, mention. Uh, It's a connection to God's hope, his deliverance, his future. For Jesus is the light come into the world. John 6, 17 says, Darkness has already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. So Jesus walks into a dark storm to bring light. Or uh, John uh, 1.5, also on screen, says, That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. The dark storm. There was Jesus in the middle of this swirling storm, but it could not overcome him. He is the light. He has come to calm the storm. He banishes the darkness. Or John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so how clearly uh, he demonstrates in this event, the walking on the water, exactly what he's saying there, uh, that those who follow him will come into the light and will never walk in darkness. Uh, The sea in biblical imagery stands for darkness and chaos, 
Uh, and in, in Revelation, I don't know if you know, there are seven things we're told that will be banished. Uh, seven things that are banished will be no more in the new creation. And one of them is the sea. So uh, Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw the new heavens, the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. And uh, there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with the sea in and of itself, but it stands for something, for darkness, for chaos, for drownings. Uh, and we saw that in Psalm 107. And so Jesus comes to banish darkness, to, to rescue from the suffocating waters, to calm the storm. Uh, and that's the, the picture in our psalm of the Lord coming to rescue those who are imprisoned in darkness. So again, uh, Psalm 107 from verse 10. It says, Others sat in darkness and gloom, prisoners in cruel chains. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their chains apart. And so to end, um, as we come to a new year with many possibilities, with many paths ahead of us, go to Jesus and follow him. For life can be a little bit like a boat in a storm. We can be tossed about. We can never know what the wind uh, may bring, when it may pick up. And darkness may threaten to overwhelm us. So who are we going to follow and trust? When uh, the little boat full of disciples did get to the shore, Jesus, uh, I don't know if you know what what happens next in John chapter 6, that they get to the shore and then Jesus begins teaching uh, the disciples and others. And a whole bunch of them leave Jesus. They, they can't accept his teaching. And then there's uh, one of my favorite verses, I think, is this great exchange uh, from John six sixty seven. Jesus, after these people leave, Jesus it says, Therefore said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, who will we go to when you have the words of eternal life? We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's just this great moment. He's like, where else are we going to go, Lord? <laughs> where else have we to go when Jesus alone has words of eternal life? And so believe in him, know him, live this year with him. Life can be a storm, but make 2024 a year where your boat is steered by Jesus and he is calming the storm. Let's pray. Our psalm ends with these words. Let whoever is wise pay attention to these things and consider the Lord's acts of faithful love. Heavenly Father, you are faithful and loving to all humanity. So we pray now, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your wonderful acts. Most of all, in sending Jesus the light into the world to banish darkness and calm the storm. Father, help us to live life in your light with you at the helm of our ship. Give us the peace and joy of your calm waters as we follow our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.